So leading up until the Advent season, uh, we had started a series in 1 Timothy. We've been walking through the book intentionally. We're not finished with that yet. Um, during the Christmas time, uh, last Sunday, as well as the, today and next week, we're going to be taking a break from our 1 Timothy series and uh, just diving into some, some standalone sermons. And so uh, when, when Matt asked me to be able to preach today, he told me, hey, Jordan, you have open reign open rain. And so I said, all right, I'll begin praying about it. And so we're going to talk about recreational marijuana in the church. <laughs> open your Bibles. Oh, that'd be a fun topic, but not today. Maybe, maybe next week. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I couldn't not go that direction because I'm me. Um, I do have a question for you this morning as we do start in the direction that we do want to go today. Um, have you ever had someone treat you with kindness in a way that you did not expect it? Do you, do you understand the question? Maybe I'll follow up with the question with, with this other question. How well do you receive kindness? Some of us in this room, we have the spiritual gift of receiving gifts, right? Um, you know, this Christmas season really highlights that. Like, man, buy me things. I love receiving things. Give me compliments. Give me gift cards. Give me gifts. Give me free things. And I don't care how little or how big it is. I love receiving things, right? It's your spiritual gift. <laughs> Others of you in this room, of this room, of this room uh, it makes you feel really awkward when someone goes out of their way for you. And I say this because I know that there's a wide range of us in this room from we love it, it's our spiritual gift, to oh my goodness, nothing makes me feel more awkward than when someone thinks about me in a caring way. I, I don't get it. Um, give me all the gifts you want and I'll receive them gladly. Um, but I, I'm probably somewhere in the middle because I do love receiving gifts. I feel really loved. I'm a feeler at my core, and I feel loved whenever someone else is thinking about me. But I'm also really good at making normal situations extremely awkward. It's a gift of mine, right? And you know I can't say that without following it up with a story. So uh, here we go. So about five years ago, six years ago, I was in the drive-thru at a Starbucks and uh, I had my first experience with this. Maybe some of you have experienced this before. Maybe none of you have ever, or maybe some of you have never experienced this. In line, uh, there was a long line at the Starbucks that I was at. I get, I order my drink. I'm just, you know, alone in my car. I order one drink for myself because it'd be awkward to order two. Um, and then I, I get to the front and I go to pay. And as, you know, before I can give my money to the, to the cashier, the person, or they said, hey, the person in front of you paid for you. And I was like, oh. That's, that's pretty awesome. Um, if I'm completely honest, then uh, my first thoughts were, that girl's hitting on me. Um, <laughs> and then I remembered, that's not going to happen. And so, um, and then, so I, I started, I was like, man, that's, that's really kind. And I felt really awkward in this situation. If I was on my game, then what I could really do is be like, you know what? What I want to do is pay for the person behind me. You know, it's a game that you play until like a car has like 10 people in it. And you're like, I'll pay for one of their drinks of the car that's behind me. And that's a weird conversation for the car behind. But anyway, um, but that's not where the story ends with me is that, that, I, that I get this drink. Because remember, I take 
good things, I receive good things, and I make them extremely awkward. And so I get my drink, and I start driving down the road. I'm, I'm driving to work, and, um, and then I see the car that, that was in front of me and on the road, maybe, you know, a quarter of a mile ahead of me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go say thank you. And so I'm speeding up. I'm dodging in and out of traffic to get to the stoplight so that I can pull up next to this individual and say, hey, thanks for the Starbucks, right? Um, and <laughs> what I didn't notice is as I was speeding up to catch up to her, she was speeding up to get away from me. And <laughs> I'm just like, what's wrong with her? She's a crazy driver, right? Um, and I, as I'm the one that's causing the problems, right? And I do end up at a light and I'm next to her. And of course, awkward Jordan here, right? At, the, at my steering wheel looking like, hey, notice me, honk, 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 hey, you know, just trying to make myself obvious, roll down the window, you know, and uh, she doesn't. I don't know why she doesn't, you know, and she's just staring right ahead like, who is this crazy person? I can almost guarantee you she never bought a drink for another individual ever, <laughs> ever again. All I really had to do was just receive it and move on, but, but, I, but I couldn't. <laughs> Uh, in all seriousness, though, when, when someone, out of just the kindness of their own heart, does something for you, something that you know that you would appreciate, something that you know that you would love, it makes you feel good on the inside, right? We had that connection, and, um, and you're just like, man, that's, that's really thoughtful of that person. If you're on the other end of the spectrum where it makes you feel uh, more awkward than anything else, maybe you got bigger issues to work through, but that's not what this sermon's about. So uh, we will just dive right on in to say, um, inside of uh, the Bible, there are somewhere around 59 different one another's. Have you guys ever heard that term before, one another's? So with inside scripture, God points to us, gives us instructions. You can even say possibly gives us commands on how we are to treat one another, love one another, serve one another. We, we, there's over 59 different types of one another's that we could thumb through. We could look at Jesus's heart for us and how we are to treat other people around us to not just reflect him, but also to show his love to people we're in relationship with and sometimes even strangers when they're not creepy ones at Starbucks. Uh, what I want to do today is just focus on one of these one another's it's found in Galatians chapter 6. So that's where we're going to be today. So if you want to find your way to Galatians chapter 6, we're going to start off looking at verse 1 and 2. But simply, we're just going to look at when Jesus, or when the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6 to bear one another's burdens. Uh, Matt and I, during the Advent season, at different times and at different ways, we, we shared how we were hearing from many people in our community, many people who are just sitting in the pews right now, how this Christmas season was extremely difficult. And we heard it in a, an abnormal, abnormal amount of times, in very unique ways, and in very real ways. And so as I was praying this past couple of weeks, just saying, God, drive me somewhere. I mean, I, as these standalone sermons come up, it, it's, it's really fun, but it's also, um, it's risky because I, I, don't, I don't know what our church needs to hear. I don't know where we need to go, but God just kind of kept bringing this up in my heart and in my mind. And I thought it'd be good for us to see, I mean, how do we care for one another? 
We're going to start off looking at the church, like as Harvest Community Church, how do we care for one another? How do we bear one another's burdens? But I think what we're going to see, and I hope at the end of this conversation, what we are able to see is that, um, is that God's calling us to treat all people this way that we're in relationship with. And I do want to make this note. There's no way for every single one of us to carry the burdens of every single person in this room. This is not one person's burden to, care, to carry to care for everyone in this room. It's not Matt's job. It's not my job. It's not Dre's job. It's not your job to carry for everyone. But it happens with inside relationship. As you bear one another's burdens, it happens in the context of relationships. When you see and know someone that is hurting, what do you do? How do you enter into that? How do you think about that? How do you process that? How do you care for people? I mean, I think that this shares uh, indirectly just the importance of being known, belonging to a local church, to a local body. It's just so when times, times get tough, we know how to respond. We know how to, to care for people well. But again, that's not exactly what this sermon's about, but it, you know, I do want to drive into how do we care? How do we bear one another's burdens? I want to see two things today. I hope that we see two different things um, as, we, uh, as we continue to walk forward. The first is I want us to see the immediate context, what Paul's going to point to here in Galatians chapter 6. And what he's going to point to is that, that we are to um, walk with people in their sin nature. As they struggle with sin, we are to come alongside them and walk with them in their sin. But I'm also going to argue our second point that I think Paul, with inside the context of Galatians, is going to point to a greater context that we're not just to, uh, to, to, um, to walk with each other, care for each other, bear one another's burdens, only in the context of helping each other out with our sin nature. We're also supposed to do it in a very general and broad term of what pain and suffering looks like, which may not be connected at all to our sin nature. But let's just begin and, and walk through Galatians chapter 6. We're just going to read the first two verses. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the first point, the first thing that I want us to see today of the two is that, um, that we're to bear the burdens of people who are struggling with particular sins. And how I want to break this up and how I want us to see and understand this is really seeing what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, and talking about each one of these three pieces that are highlighted. Brothers, if anyone is caught in sin. Let's talk about what it means to be caught in sin. Then you are, you who are spiritual are to restore him. What does it mean to restore a brother? What's the, the concept? What's the heart behind what Paul is driving us towards? And when we do, we're supposed to do it in a spirit of gentleness. So let's just start with the first one and just talk about what, what it means uh, uh, to be caught in sin. If you've ever been caught in sin before, if you've ever struggled with something that's almost been crippling in your life that you just can't shake, this is not just I stole something from the store, but I have a habitual problem of being a kleptomaniac that every time I walk into some uh, someplace, I have to take something, right? This is a deeper heart issue. Someone who is caught in sin. 
If you've ever been at that place, you know that this is an extremely heavy and burdensome place to be. When we feel the weight of sin, praise God, when the Holy Spirit reveals to us our sin nature, we have lots of choices. What do we do with that feeling? What do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with that information? What do we do with all of it? And what Paul is pointing us to here is that we're not to carry it alone. We're actually supposed to walk closely with brothers and sisters who can help us carry the weight of this sin. And this is more than just calling a brother or sister out. If you read Matthew chapter 7, it, there's a very specific warning for us. And, and I think we're supposed to, as we see our brother or sister sin and they're making sinful choices, I, I think we're supposed to, to, to call them out and we're supposed to talk to them. We're supposed to start a conversation, right, about, um, about the, the way that we, we see choices that they're making. But there's a very specific warning in Matthew chapter 7 where, where Jesus says that first we have to take the log out of our eyes, spend time with Jesus so that we are checking our own hearts and lives and minds before we point out the saw us that is inside of our brother's eye. So this is a very biblical um, idea, principle, right? I think what Paul is driving to, though, is something so much deeper and something so much more. Paul is pointing to people who are struggling, who are hurting, and they know it. What do you do with that? And how are we, as brothers and sisters, supposed to come alongside them to help them walk through that? This calls us individually first. I think we have to internalize this and, and come to the realization that we have to be better at being vulnerable with people. We have to be better at talking with uh, our brothers and sisters about the things that make us weak, the areas where we are not strong. Because this only comes out if I can confess to my friend that, man, I am struggling emotionally here or I'm struggling with sin here with the realization that that person's not going to condemn me or uh, judge me so harshly that uh, they're going to kick me away from their friend group. I mean, if you hear that, it kind of sounds ridiculous, right? People don't do that when you're in relationship with them. They shouldn't anyway. But we have this idea in our hearts and minds that if we share this with them, they're going to think differently of us. There's a lot to process, but that weight's not for you to carry alone. We've got to be better at talking with people. But really what I want us to see is when your friend comes to you and says, man, I'm struggling with this, how do we walk with them in the midst of all this? We have to realize that person's taking a risk and sharing something deeply intimate sharing something very vulnerable about themselves. And we have to be as far as Jesus, no matter if you're a feeler or a thinker, we have to be good at empathizing with our friends who come to us. You know what I mean when I say that? We have to be good at sitting in the muck, in the grime with them, getting ourselves a little bit dirty metaphorically, right? to be able to share a little bit of hope, to say, come with me. Because when someone's at that place, they are many times unable to see the hope and the light at the end of the tunnel. That's why they're coming to you. Because they've tried it on their own. 
There has been sometimes months, if not years, of wrestling through this issue on their own before they ever risk and come to you. And they got to a, such a dark place, potentially, they can't see the way out. And so we have to go to that place with them, sit with them, and say, I can see the light, let's hold hands, and let's walk there together. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens. This is why we're unable to do it with everyone in this room. I can't do it for all of you. One of you can't do it for every single other person in this room. It happens when in the context of being known and being in relationship with one another. I think it's also good to note, as we're talking about caring for people, making a, a good realization here. I alluded to this a second ago, that, that there's some feelers in this room and there's thinkers in this room. Uh, if you um, have been married, I think maybe you can understand where I'm going to go next. If you are a feeler and your good friend or spouse is a thinker and they're hurting with something, are you going to uh, address them? If you address them with emotion, are they going to hear you well? No, they're not going to hear you well because they want to hear logic, right? And the, the opposite is true too. If one of us, are, is, is, if I'm the logical person and my spouse or my friend is a feeler, if they come to me and I just start saying, this is what you need to do, one, two, three, four, it's logic, it makes sense, just do these things and you'll be better, that feeler's gonna sit there and be like, I uh, just need you to sit here with me, right? Be emotional with me. So I, I think even what Paul's calling us to is something so much deeper than what we can even do for ourselves, you sometimes need to take a step outside of your natural tendencies of being a logical thinker and being able to care for someone in a way that they need to be cared for. <laughs> How many times have I responded to my own wife in a very emotional way when what she needs was logic? I found out very quick that uh, that did not work for her. And so we we wrestled through it, we figured it out, but I think it's important for us to realize what type of person people are so that as we walk with them, as we carry their burdens, we do it in a way that really leads them and cares for them really, really well. So when a brother or a sister is hurting and is in need, when they're caught in sin, secondly, what's our call? For those who are spiritual, we are to restore them. Our goal is to enter into their pain with them and help them walk out of it. Sometimes this is a, um, a one conversation. That's rare. Many times, many, many times, it's a relationship. It's something that we commit to. It's something that could take months, a year, or multiple years, depending on the pain that someone has walked through and how deep it really is for them. And let's be honest with one another. For us to do this, and for us to do this well, it's extremely hard. Why? <laughs> because we're selfish at our core. It's so much easier to give them a pat on the back and with the most sincere heart say, I'm praying for you, and walk away. Maybe you're serious about praying for them. Maybe you do pray for them. Maybe you don't know how to enter into someone's pain and you feel awkward, so those are just the natural words that come out of your mouth instead of actually entering into that. Um, I think to help us see our own natural tendencies, we can look at, at how people 
parent their kids to see some natural tendencies, ways that we naturally respond that are unhelpful, but maybe even helpful in some ways. We all have parents in this room, right? I mean, some of us have relationships with our parents, some of us don't, but we all have experience with parental figures, right? So um, how did that experience go? How did your parents treat you? How did your parents walk with you? Maybe some of us in this room are parents, and we have felt the, the struggles of how we care for our own kids. I, I got three things that, that I, I want to point to, and these are just my own experiences. Maybe you can relate with them as well. Um, when my kids have come to me and with, with these problems that I think are very minimal, or if I'm doing something else, my mind is uh, busy, if you will, and they come to me with these minor problems, uh, what I have a tendency to do is be super annoyed, you guys ever been annoyed with your kids? Is that just a me thing? I hope, okay, thank you. Thanks for identifying with me. Right? So it's so easy for me to naturally respond to my kids with annoyance. They come to me because they have this problem with a friend at school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, compared to life, that is so minor, right? Get over it. Man up. Suck it up. Do whatever, right? Do whatever it takes. Just You'll figure it out. I get annoyed so easily, so quickly at times, and I gotta check that with inside myself because I gotta remind myself, and I've seen this in my own kids, I've seen this as I've been a youth pastor for 19 years, is that the pain that students feel, whether they're four years old, five years old, 13, 15, 18 years old, the pain that they feel, though it's minor in your mind because you maybe experience more life than them, that pain is extremely real for them. Remember your first breakup. How old were you? How many tears did you shed? But we can look at our kids and say, you don't even know what love is. Get over it. Rub some dirt on it. It'll be fine. <laughs> right? We, we shouldn't respond with annoyance. We shouldn't respond that way, even if they are being dramatic. I think our call is to, in relationship with our Savior, being able to enter into their pain and say, hey, Though it's minor, let me help you see the way out of it. Responding in annoyance is not helpful. And, and we do that, I think, with one another, with inside the church, as people experience pain. Because we can look at it and say, like, that's, you're making a big deal out of nothing. And we just sweep it under the rug. Is that what Paul's alluding to here? I think it's deeper. I think it's bigger. If it's not annoyance, maybe it's with the right heart, but you come at it with the wrong motive. Maybe we help in ways that are unhelpful. So I was saying a second ago, if someone's a feeler and, and you just start giving them logic, just do these things. They're sitting there like, okay, like, but I just need you to feel with me. We've got to figure out and wrestle how to do that really well. And the flip side is just as true. Even though I'm a feeler, I have to be able to think logically to help my wife see things as she's walking through pain. One, two, three, four. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, I, I don't know, but, but I'm trying to enter into your pain with you to help speak your language to help walk you out of this. Annoyance with the wrong motives, or we can enter into this with extremely careful intent with a desire to understand, with a desire to hear, with a desire to feel, with a desire to know. We all have tendencies. What are they when people come your direction with things that are heavy and hard? With a goal of restoring people, we must be able to enter into their mess, 
hear their hearts, speak their language, help them see hope. They may need our consistent voice of hope to get them out of the black hole that they feel and or are experiencing. They're caught in sin. Those who are spiritual, we help restore them. How? With the spirit of gentleness. What I would argue here is that Paul is telling us to do more, again, than just call out someone's sin. To say you're sinning, stop, don't do it again, and move on. It's entering into something that is potentially heavy and deep, but is so life-giving for you as the mentor and life-giving for those who are hurting, who need the help. This is leadership. This is love. This is the way we do family together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So bear one another's burdens. How does that verse end in verse, chapter, or verse two of chapter six? Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. How? How is it that when we do this, we're actually fulfilling the law of Christ? And here's where I want to make the argument. I think Paul is talking about something so much deeper than just particular sins that we struggle with. He's talking about walking with people on a much deeper scale that may have nothing to do with our sin nature. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, just backing up one chapter, and let's look at verse 13 through 15. Paul says, says there, For you were called to freedoms, brother. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. This is where I'm pointing it to. When we are to fulfill the law of Christ, how is the law of Christ fulfilled? He's saying it's fulfilled with this one word. And he uses more than one word, but it's, it's the word, right? You shall love your neighbors as yourself. You guys heard this before? Is this something you're familiar with? Right? Jesus talks about the greatest commandment given in all of Scripture, right? What is the greatest commandment? Love God. Love others, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is pointing back to something that Jesus said and said, this is how the law of Christ is fulfilled, is that you serve one another. That you love your brother as yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Who's your neighbor? Jesus, in his very persuasive way, in Luke chapter 10, tells us exactly who our neighbor is. Do you remember the story of the lawyer having a conversation with Jesus, trying to entrap him? He asks Jesus a very specific question, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, do you know the law? He's like, yeah, I know the law. What, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you got it. Now go do it. So we ask Jesus a follow-up question. Jesus, who's my neighbor? And this is where we get to a story that many of us learned when we were kids. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. The story continues. The story moves on. And he, he, uh, Jesus tells a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. These aren't real people. It's to get a point across. Jesus tells a parable of, um, of this 
person who most likely is Jewish because they're traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and they, they get robbed and they're injured on the side of the road, two people are traveling and they see him. One is the priest, they see the guy injured and they cross the street and they go around the other way, right? I think VeggieTales has a good rendition of this story if you've ever seen it. Um, the priest goes and then the Levite goes it's very intentional Jesus is saying these are Jewish people seeing a Jewish person and they're going the opposite direction. And then a Samaritan who is not a Jew, it's a half-breed Jew, it's someone that Jewish people did not interact with, sees this person on the side of the road and he cares for them. He steps in and he says, I'm going to care for this guy. He goes above and beyond what is necessary, leaves him in an inn, leaves him with money to be cared for, and he comes back to check on him later. And Jesus says to the lawyer, that is your neighbor. So how do we fulfill the law of Christ? By serving others, by loving others. I think what Paul is driving to here is, yes, we're to do this with one another, especially as we struggle with sin, but it generally it is so much bigger and broader and deeper than that. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone that you're in relationship with, follower of Jesus or not follower of Jesus. We are to, bury, uh, we are to um, bear the burdens of, of people we're in relationship with because it reflects Christ. If we want our neighbors to come see Jesus, why wouldn't we bear their burdens? If your friend who goes to another church that you're in deep relationship with is going through a really messy situation, why wouldn't we bear their burdens? They are our neighbors, right? I think the concept that Paul is driving towards is extremely deep. So we fulfill the law of Christ when we love our neighbors as ourselves. We fulfill the law of Christ when we walk with people in their pain. I want to end um, by just giving us five examples. These examples I'm going to give you are not hypothetical. These examples are either things that I have walked through personally, or these are examples of people that I have walked with, either a specific person or multiple people who come with pain. And I want us to hear these examples to just ask ourselves, what if? What if we were to live out what Paul is saying here as we bear one another's burdens? What could our community of faith look like? And beyond our community of faith, what kind of representation of Jesus could we have to this world around us if we are to live out these examples in a way that makes sense? So the first example I want to give, simple examples. First one is this. What if we walk with someone with a porn addiction? I have walked with numerous boys and men who have come to me and opened up and said, this is a struggle I have. I've been trying to wrestle with it and fix it on my own for so long, and I can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do. That's heavy. Do I say I'm praying for you? Read this book? Talk to me in a couple months? Or do I sit with them over coffee or wherever we feel we have privacy to where they can share their mess and their muck and I can choose to enter it with them emotionally and understand where they're coming from 
so I, don't, so I don't look like I'm just a person who has all the right answers. Just do what I say and you'll be fixed. No, I'm saying I'm here with you and I have some thoughts on how we can walk through this together. <laughs> here's, a, here's a dark secret. You know why I can do that? Because I've been there too. I've been there with my own struggles with pornography. And I wish I could say it was a glorious journey to where I shared it to one friend whenever I was in college and he walked with me, he bared my burden and I was free from that moment on. That's not my journey. That wasn't my story. I risked. I shared it to four, five different people and I got what in essence was, I'm praying for you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Instead, I found one person who lived in another state, who's a good friend of mine, said, I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you up. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to ask you questions just about your own life. Like, and then I'll ask you accountability questions, and we'll just see where this goes. And praise God for him. What if we were to bear one another's burdens? We can offer love. We can offer support. We can offer accountability. But I'm going to say, most importantly, what we can offer in those situations is hope. I think that's what that person needs more than anything, because that's what I needed. Secondly, example number two, or on a lighter note, um, how do we walk with people? How do we bear the birds of people who are newlyweds? Don't look at me like, what do you mean? My first year was amazing being married. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> that or your spouse is not being honest with you because they were the one hurting and you were the one that's like, hey, this is great. <laughs> Many people who are engaged really have no clue, right? I mean, I, and the, I think the smartest ones who are engaged will actually say, you know what? People have told me that the first years are hard. I have no idea what they're talking about. I believe them, so I'm trying to brace myself for as much as I can, right? Prepare my own heart and mind, right, for that. Those are the smartest ones. The other ones are like, not us. We never fight. <laughs> See how long that lasts. <laughs> yeah, right? It's not a relationship if you're not fighting. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's a joy. This is this is something I'm walking through now. There, uh, there's a couple in our church, uh, Amanda McDaniel's. She's getting married. Just started marriage counseling with them. It was wonderful. It's it's good to be able to walk with an excited couple into this season of life. Uh, Alex Lentz and and Kenton um, came to me as well, and I I'm just excited for these couples, young couples who are oblivious but yet hopeful. <laughs> And I believe the best in it. But you and I know. If you have experience with this, you and I know. We don't come to the wedding, bring a gift, and say, I'm praying for you. Good luck. What would it look like to step ahead of someone's pain? They don't know it's there yet, but we're able to walk with them. And you could commit to yourself or your spouse for a year to say, hey, we're going to invite that couple over at least once a month to just check in. This is not an accountability time. This is just, how are you time? I could take a dude out and just say, for real though, how is it? <laughs> and hopefully he would be honest. 
how do we bear one another's burdens? We can bring, or we could be the champion of newlyweds if we did this well. Third example, a friend walking through a difficult divorce. This happens all too frequently. It's common. How do we walk with people? How do we hear people's hurts and their pain? Many times, if not for one of the, um, of the couples, no, of one of the persons in the relationship, it's both that are experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of separation. There's frustration, there's anger, there's hurt, there's confusion. And I could just go on and on with the feelings in the midst of that. How do we bear the burdens of someone who is going through a painful divorce? If we bear their burdens and walk with them, if we can sit in their muck, if we could just listen, be good listeners, go have a non-alcoholic beverage, um, or alcoholic beverage, or you can have a coffee, or you can have whatever you want. You could just sit there and talk about what is going on for someone to be real and share exactly what they're feeling. If we bear that burden with them, we can hopefully, with open ears and with empathy and with advice, we could be their family. As the family that they know feels rocked to the core we could come alongside and say, hey, we'll be your family. You can hang out with us. You can come alongside of us. You can be one of us. What if we did that on a grand scale, all of us, for the name and for the glory of Jesus? Fourth example. What do we do when a teenager comes our way and he says he's gay? I've recently had a conversation with a friend who was a follower of Jesus, and he's gay. He grew up in the church. He learned all about growing up from a baby. He learned all about the love of God. And then at 13, he discovered that he had an attraction towards the same sex. He walked with me through what it was like growing up in the church and having these feelings that he just could not change. And he compared it for, to how people were talking to him and how he should behave. And all of those very volatile conversations that people had with him, he ended up walking away feeling that God hated him He tried to end his life many times because if people can't love me and if God can't love me, what is the point of living? Thankfully, that he was not successful. Uh, this story, it's not unique. I've heard this story half a dozen times or more in the past six months. We can love people, remind them of who God is, and begin a conversation rather than just kick them out of the Jesus camp because of their sexual orientation. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. I don't think any of us in this room 
necessarily be guilty of this, but I've seen it in the Big C Church. A 13-year-old boy has these feelings, and we just say, sorry, you're out. And saying, instead of saying, who is Jesus? And loving someone and entering their pain with them because it's painful. Last example, someone experiencing death. This is probably relevant for lots of us in this room, maybe recent. My mentor in college, um, he was the youth pastor whenever I was an intern. He's now a lead pastor in Colorado. He had a family in his church, um, family of six, husband and wife, and their four kids. Wife with their six-year-old daughter was in a car accident and she was killed a couple days ago, Christmas Day. Six-year-old daughter in the hospital, hanging on for life. What do you do to bear that burden as the family of God? What do we do? How do you enter that pain? And my only encouragement in the midst of that, I mean, there's lots of thoughts, right, that we could dissect, but the way that I (laughs) think about that is you enter it carefully, and you enter it with few words, but you're in it for the long haul. Bear one another's burdens. <laughs> we could talk about all this because Jesus, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus entered into our brokenness through his death, and through his resurrection, he paid it all. So that we could have life. And he has rescued, and he has redeemed us from the curse of sin and death. And we have life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, found in the pages of these scriptures that we can read and know well and know him and have great conversations about who he is and who he's not. And every one of the examples I just gave you, and there are many, many, many more, Jesus wants to provide that same type of hope and healing to the brokenness, and he wants to provide redemption to some of those people. He wants to provide it to their lives. He wants to bring them their names into the Lamb's Book of Life to say, come and be a part of the bigger story, and the way that he's going to do that is the way that we choose to walk with people for his name's sake, for his glory, and what's awesome is that we receive good from that as well when we get to be a part of that story. But there are also brothers and sisters who already call Jesus their own who are walking through this. And he wants to redeem, and he wants to rescue situations, and to say, don't forget who I am. But guess what? Deep burdens, deep wounds cause us to be blind. We forget how great and how glorious Jesus is. So our call is to be with them to sit with them, to have conversation with them, to walk with them, and say, I see hope. Can you follow me? 
as I walk with you to that place. And any one of us in this room, because we're human beings, we can do that and we can do it well. We just got to do it. I want to go ahead and invite the band to come up as, as we close our time. As we close our time, we're going to enter into a time of communion. Communion is something that we do twice a, m- a month here at Harvest. And um, it's a time for us as followers of Jesus. If you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then this is for us to come together as a church family to receive the bread and to receive the juice in remembrance of who Jesus is. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you're trying to figure things out, that is awesome and I'm so glad that you are here hanging out with us today. It's totally fine and it's good that, that you just sit and pray and think and allow those who follow Jesus to come to the table. If you accept Jesus for the first time today, you ask him into your heart and say this, I want to be a part of this, table's open. We're going to come up as a church family. There's tables right here, two places that are here in front of me, two on the sides, two in the back, and also in the balcony. As songs are being sung, I want to encourage you just to come forward. There's bread, gluten-free bread that we can also take. We could dip in the juice. You could do this individually uh, in your response to God, remembering who Christ is. The glory of it is that you could do it in community with friends or with family to be able to gather around a table, say a quick prayer. We got three songs. It, it's fine. Just don't take a 10-minute prayer. Just keep it shorter, right? But do it in relationship if that's what you feel is necessary. And just spend time with Jesus, remembering who he is and the sacrifice he had made for us as we see the bread, which represents his body broken for us on the cross, and the juice, which represents the blood spilt for us as we, as Jesus followers, seek to bear one another's burdens. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your amazing love for us that never fails and never gives up. As a feeler, I could just identify with King David who just comes to your throne and just begs you to to never give up on me. (laughs) He said that over and over again. God, don't, don't give up on me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Don't leave me. And God, that's the cry of my heart constantly. For those of us in this room that that don't relate to that, but we're always thinking about ways how we can love you deeper and better and we're just getting stronger. God, I just pray that you would just speak to us in a way that makes sense. Because the reality is, God, is that you sit with us and you bear the burdens with us. Help us do that well as we reflect your name and your glory. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.